Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of our Seven Investing Podcast. I'm Seven Investing founder and CEO Simon Erickson, joined by my fellow Seven Investing lead advisors Dan Klein, Matt Cochran, Steve Simonton, and Max Chatsko. Gentlemen, how are we doing this evening? Oh Good. boy, boy. <laughs> pumped up. Some of us are in other parts of the country. Some of us are in Las Vegas tonight calling in from hotel rooms, but we're going to make this happen regardless. We're excited for this edition of our podcast because at Seven Investing, every month we come out with recommendations and we actually invest an equal stake into each one of our picks. We have a real money portfolio that tracks our performance on actually buying into every one of the recommendations that we make. However, a common question that we get is about asset allocation. People are asking us, well, which company should I buy? And if I do buy into those, how large of a stake should I take? Now, of course, investing is different for everyone. And those are personal questions that we can't give personalized financial advice to. But on this edition of our podcast, we are going to share a little bit of light on how we invest in our own portfolios, how we think about asset allocation, and how we determine different qualities of how we establish a position over time. And so, gentlemen, the first question that I'd like to ask to the group is, how do you actually first establish a position in your portfolio? Do you back the truck up right away? Do you add to a position over time? What's the initial way that you buy into a stock as part of your portfolio. Dan Klein, let's start with you in Las Vegas for this question. Yeah, so I don't put a lot of science into it. Basically, you know, I buy mostly twice a month. I have money transferred every other week. When it's in the account, I usually know, oh, hey, I'm really interested in this new stock. So I tend to buy a three to $500 position, depending how much money I'm sitting on in that stock. And will I buy more? Yes, if at another point, I think this is my highest conviction stock, or boy, I really like what Simon had to say about this stock, I'll add a little bit. And I'll do that until I get to about 10, 15%. Once I hit that sort of threshold, that's when I'm probably not going to add any new money. Now, I'm not necessarily going to sell if it's doing well, but that's when I kind of stop adding new money. And there's no real science to it. I might be at 2% for two years. I might get to 10% in, in two months. It really depends on what I feel about the company. Perfect. Hi, I'm Matt, Matt Cochran. Uh, it sounds like Dan kind of takes a very small stake up front. What do you do to start a position? Yeah, actually, so I, I move pretty slowly. Um, you know, and I, I don't know, I didn't always do this. Like when I first started, like I, I just kind of built my portfolio pretty haphazardly. Uh, you know, I didn't really know what I was doing. And I just kind of over time, I kind of learned like, uh, what kind of investing style like suited me best in and what, what fit my personality best. So, but I, I move pretty slowly. I'm never in a rush anymore to build a position. Um, so I just buy a little at a time. And that first bite can be quick. Um, even like before I'm done thoroughly researching a company, you know, but if I'm like halfway through and I really like it, I like the price, I'll just go ahead and, and establish a small position. Now, if I, if I, uh, as I learn more and I, I don't like that position, I'll, I'll sell it quickly too. Like those first positions, uh, I can sell pretty quickly. Um, but like if my conviction grows, I'll just add over time, you know? And so like every year, uh, like there's some companies, I think I bought every single year for the last five or six years, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, so while I'm a long-term buy and hold and sell, uh, the long-term buy and hold investor, like I do sell small positions quickly before I'm done with, it, uh, with my research, but like, Otherwise, I just kind of add over time. And I, I personally, I, I think of that as time diversification. You know, you just buy at different values over time. And just like many index passive investors uh, invest like dollar cost average into the index over time, I do, I do that with many positions. Steve, the Floridians sound like they have a similar strategy. How do you do things up there in Montana? 
I, uh, I, I start small too, actually. Uh, I, I might look at, at buying a position that's half a percent to a percent of my total portfolio at any one time and uh, really maybe off relative to the, am- the amount of money that I might want to put in uh, to the stock in total. Uh, and I just take my time. It might take me uh, a few months. It might take me several quarters uh, to kind of get up to the amount that I want to put into it, but I'll start maybe half a percent to 1% of my total portfolio. And, uh, and oftentimes those small positions to start will grow into to fairly large positions um, kind of on their own. And, uh, and I don't necessarily need to put extra money into them, but uh, I, I let a lot of the, uh, the stock's price action determine uh, when I want to add and, and, uh, and how much. So, so Max, we're three for three on starting small with a very small stake up front. Is that how you generally do things in your portfolio too? No, I actually, uh, anytime I'm interested in a company, I uh, try to do a hostile takeover bid. So what you <laughs> want to do is you got to get like 10% within a quarter because otherwise you have to file that SEC filing and then you have to align yourself with other major stockholders. Um, no, I, uh, <laughs> I knew you were Satoshi and sitting on hundreds of billions of dollars right now. <laughs> I, I also start. So I actually don't think about what percentage of my total portfolio, any position is. Um, but you know, I, I have a basic, I have like a basic idea in mind of all the positions relatively what they, I want them to be over time. Um, but yeah, I, I usually think about, you know, I have X amount every, every month to put in. And then I, like Dan said, I kind of know. Oh, good. You know, it's that day of the month. I get to go and buy those, those companies I've been, you know, waiting to buy since last month. Um, and I just slowly build over time. Um, you know, there's some of my recommendations I've purchased every month since I've been here. Um, I'll probably keep doing that, you know, just to build positions and it's, uh, you know, there's buy and hold. I kind of have like accumulate and wait. That's my strategy. It's kind of the same thing, but, uh, that's what I do. Yeah. And I'll round it out with the, with the fifth vote that says the same exact thing that everyone else said too, <laughs> is I, I typically like to take a small stake up front, typically about 1% of the portfolio historically, at least for me, just to get some skin in the game, just to start following the company more closely. I find that if I've actually invested, I want to learn more about it. I really want to follow the earnings calls more closely. And it makes it more interesting for me too. Dan, go ahead. You had one more thing you want yeah, to I'll say? I'll just throw in one quick thing. So there's one exception to all of this for me. If there's a company I'm interested in, and it drops precipitously for what I consider a stupid reason, that's when I buy some. Like if I had been, you know, investing in Chipotle at the time they had their E. coli scare, which when you really looked at it was a couple of people getting a little bit sick. It was, it was inevitable. The company handled it well, but the stock went kablam. That is a good time to buy. That might be when I take some money, transfer it into my investing account, you know, and, and buy up good stuff. Doesn't happen very often. I'm not a big wait for a dip, but if sometimes if a dip happens and you look and you're like, oh, wait a minute, like the, you know, the, the, the CEO had the sniffles and people said he had COVID, like there's no real reason why this should fall. Oh, so that I think is a buying opportunity and I'll kind of go, I'll call it off cycle to do that. Perfect. Now, let me use that as a segue, Dan, because there's another question I'd like to ask. We all said that we start small. We take a very uh, modest initial stake in these in these companies, but we also all kind of mentioned that we like to add over time. How do you determine, my next question I'd like to pose to the group is, how do you determine which companies you're adding to over time? Um, we have an initial stake and you said, okay, sometimes there's, there's an opportunity if the stock sells off, but are there any metrics, is there any factors that you decide, this is a company I want to add to over time? And then my part B of that question is, uh, how large of a stake would you actually put into a company until you consider it 
a full size steak. Dan, you had, go ahead and go first with this one. Yeah, it's this is one where you know I, I sort of answered that part where it's ten to fifteen percent, and for me, it's very much feel. So I look at my portfolio and I look at a stock and I go, why do I own so little of this? And then I might look up like what's going on with the company or if it's one one of us has picked, I might reread a recommendation or go over some video. So there's no massive science to it for me. I don't have a big spreadsheet. I don't, but a lot of times I'm going like, geez, this is one I like. It's only 2% of my portfolio. And occasionally there are ones where I do have to plan for it because I don't, I'm not with a brokerage that allows for fractional shares. So there might be something where I'm like, geez, I really want to own some of that. Let's make a plan. And six months from now, I'm going to buy a share of that or whatever it is. But, but really it's very touchy feely for me with no exact science, at least until I get to that 10% threshold or so. Max, you, of course, uh, it's closing your eyes and picking, right? Like, <laughs> yep i have a uh, uh a cat that actually just uh picks all my stocks <laughs> for me no um i how do i what was the question again for just to just to frame how do you decide <laughs> what your companies you want to add to max and then what's a full-sized position for you right right so what i do so I, I invest heavily in uh, a lot of you know pre-commercial drug developers right so this is actually an important uh question for how other people might structure their you know uh positions here so a lot of those, you know, and, and you can tell from my recommendations, um, earlier stage, right? I try to avoid companies that have uh, valuation risks. So all, all drug developers have development risks, but I've been trying to avoid uh, those that are richly valued or have momentum. So that said, I mean, some of them are still pretty volatile, right? There's no reason they can go up or down 20% in any given month or quarter or year. Um, you have to wait for different inflection points when they, they cross some development milestone. So I accumulate to a point leading up to some of those milestones and then you know depending on the milestone if it's good even if the stock price stock price spikes up a lot 40 percent, 50 percent, or more you know it's that's now more de-risked though than it was when you were first accumulating a position so then you have to you know go back in and you, maybe you can buy some more and you feel better about it um so i have a couple of companies that have big uh milestones in, in december of this year uh so i'm accumulating up to then and then we'll see what happens and then you know maybe uh, again, early 2022, I'll be, you know, uh, figuring out different ways to accumulate shares and maybe they're at higher prices and that's fine. And what's a full size position for you? Do you, do you let it ride? If, if those, if those biotech companies are hitting the milestones and doing what they're saying, do you ever cut it back? You just say, keep, keep letting this grow as long as it keeps doing a good job. I tend not to trim too much, but I will stop, uh, accumulating. So, um, you know, one company I've owned, uh, I, so I bought fate therapeutics back in like late 2019. And I was buying through last summer and then I was like, man, this is getting a little, uh, you know, frothy here. And then they had data from like six patients and their valuation exploded. They're at like $10 billion now. So I haven't bought any shares in over six months, I think. Um, but if they continue to de-risk it with other pipeline programs, then uh, maybe that, you know, eight to $10 billion market valuation is justified, but I think it is a little uh, expensive now. So that kind of blew up it's one of my largest positions now. I wasn't really, it wasn't supposed to be that way, right? Like um, it was supposed to take way more time. Uh, so I've, I've pulled back from buying, but I haven't sold any. Yeah, perfect. How about you, Steve? What, what, what marks a larger position for you? Like what, what would you be looking for as you're adding to something over time? And then what's a full size stake for you in the portfolio? Um, you know, I, I start to, to kind of 
my eyebrows are raised once, you know, if I see a stock kind of approach around 15, 20% of my overall portfolio, I kind of go, Ooh, maybe I need to kind of re, you know, look at this, but I don't like to trim winners. Uh, often I found um, that question sort of works itself out as other stocks gain uh, along the way. So, so, you know, and as I added new stocks to my portfolio, um, so I really don't like to sell winners. I don't set any hard ceiling for how large I'm willing to let a company become. And, uh, you know, for the most part, that's kind of naturally um, sort of selected which stocks have, have dominated my portfolio. Um, but part of that's just that I like to add, um, you know, repeatedly, consistently uh, to the companies in my portfolio as my own kind of cash flow allows. So uh, as I have cash, I like to add to it. I don't, I don't try and time bottoms or, you know, sell at tops or anything like that. It's just you know, sort of an exercise in futility. Uh, so really, um, you know, sometimes that might mean, you know, buying a stock that I think has gone nowhere for no good reason. And, you know, generally, uh, you know, I see kind of catalysts that ends up being kind of a coiled spring, or sometimes it might mean like adding to a, a big winner, uh, which is sort of counterintuitive, right? Where you have, you know, stocks that have, have really outperformed everything else for a good reason. And, um, you know, so, uh, that, that's kind of a, a, a tough call, but it's all on an individual company basis, but no real set limits. I like to stay flexible that way. And is there any consistency between the largest positions you have? I mean, if you're, if you see a company that's 10, 15%, do they all have one thing in common or is it kind of all over the board for you? Uh, kind of all over the board. Uh, really it's, uh, really what I like to do is, um, when I buy a company in the first place, I, I buy it at a valuation that I think is attractive relative to its long-term potential. So I try not to focus too much on, on whether, you know, whether people are calling it overvalued or undervalued right now, you know, and that's kind of the problem that we have is that too many short-term oriented investors are saying this is overvalued. And well, of course it is, you know, you could have said Amazon was overvalued for the last 20 years. And, uh, you know, people say Tesla is overvalued, uh, along it's in, you know, insane run. Um, and it's overvalued the entire way, but, um, some of the best stocks are, uh, so I try not to focus on that. I, I look at a company's um, long-term potential. And if I like where it stands today, you know, it's, it's, it's market capitalization, it's enterprise value relative to that long-term potential, I'll buy it and I'll just continue steadily adding to that position. Uh, so that's kind of how, how I approach, you know, determining whether uh, a company's worth adding to. Uh, Matt, Steve mentioned value points there. He said enterprise value to EBITDA. Uh, that, that's kind of similar to something I think you and I have chatted about over the years. Is that similar to how you add to positions or something different than that these days? Yeah, so actually, so what I generally do, like, first of all, like as far as position sizing, I, I want to make stocks earn their position in my portfolio. So to become a significant position in my portfolio, say anything over 5%, the stock must do a lot of the heavy lifting there. Um, this is especially true for my largest positions. I'll keep buying to a point, but eventually like positions need to earn their keep. And by that, I just mean like they need to do, uh, like if, if, if I want them, if they're gonna be a large position in my portfolio, they need to earn their way uh, there. And then my largest positions, especially by market cost, are those that I believe won't lose a lot of money rather than ones I think could gain the most. For example, my, like I have positions of Paycom Software and Shopify, and they've grown so much that they would have been top positions if I had never trimmed them. But with those valuations, I know drawdowns are likely. And so I've cut them a little on the way up. And so I do give myself permission to trim uh, and add to positions based on valuation, but I never sell out of a position entirely uh, due solely to valuation. 
And these principles, they kind of naturally steer my portfolios and my most significant positions are the ones I've held the longest and are those with which I'm most familiar. Yeah, that sounds great, Matt. Thanks very much. And to round this out, you know, with my opinion as well, I, I tend to kind of have two different styles of companies I invest in. I play offense or I play defense. And the offense portfolio that I run is, you know, what is the addressable market? How well are they executing? And are they still small enough to grow into that? And so companies in that portfolio, I'm, I'm willing to let them ride. And I actually add normally on the way up. I don't wait for those companies to sell back down. Um, I will add to a position that's doing quite well and let it grow. The largest position in that portfolio for me is around 25% right now. And then the other one is a, is a retirement account that I really am looking for kind of these perpetually undervalued companies that are paying dividends that I just reinvest over time because shares are undervalued. Uh, largest position size for me in that is around 15%. I look for steadily rising dividends and management that does what they say they're going to do. So some great opportunities, uh, really great perspectives from the milestones like Max was talking about for biotech companies. Matt saying that companies need to earn their position over time and won't lose money. Steve likes a 15 to 20% stake. Uh, with really no ceiling at value points that he adds to over time. And Dan saying that, um, you know, he, he really looks to have a 10 to 15% position in companies. And so I guess my last question is, we've talked about how large of a stake can you get? How do you think about a diversified portfolio, right? We always think about like, okay, do I want to have just five stocks and we've got equal weight by cost and that's plenty diversified for me? Or do I want to have 80 stocks that, you know, you've just kind of spread over a really, really wide base of, of companies to pick from? How do you think about diversified? Do you have an idea of how many positions are in your portfolio? And uh, kind of how, how do you think about this whole topic of diversification? Dan, let's go ahead and start with you again on this one. Simon, this is going to be controversial, but I like to have 10 good stocks and 10 bad stocks. So you know, <laughs> okay. it's only to be fair. It's 10 companies that I think are going to do well and 10 that are probably committed. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> so I view my portfolio since joining 7investing two different ways. The first part, which I think there's about 14 stocks in it now, are my picks. These are companies I've researched or companies I cover that I feel really strongly about. The second part of my portfolio is I'll call them seven investing picks. It's, it's usually max, uh, but it's been all of you at some point. And those are companies where either some of them I was inclined to buy and, and have done the homework. Some of them, I if you say the ticker, I don't even know that I own it until I go look it up. So I view that as a whole separate basket and that basket might get to 50, 60, 100. I don't know because I don't have to do the research. If it's time to sell, you guys will tell me to sell. So I know some people want to know everything about every stock they own and that's a great way to do it. But I get to work with some of the best stock minds in the world. Why would I only buy my picks? And my picks tend to be of similar, you know, they tend to be very very uh, safe picks, very conservative picks. Not all of them, but a lot of them have been. So if I can add some risk to my portfolio, now those aren't huge buys unless it happens to be one where I was right in the fence about something and, and Matt did a really compelling presentation and Steve really loves it too. Well, then I might take a, a, a bigger position because maybe I, I felt I made some mistakes and not trusting my own conviction. But uh, in general, two separate portfolios, one that I follow, one that uh, is just lots of good ideas from you guys that hopefully will become, you know, grand slams, if not more. Gotcha. Sounds good. Conviction ideas and more speculative ideas. How about it, Max Chatsko? How do you, uh, how do you think about this? Yeah. So um, I guess there's two different approaches, how I think about it, right? You can do a top-down approach or you can do a bottom-up approach. So if you do a top-down approach, maybe um, you don't go too into the weeds of any specific company. 
but you might say, Hey, you know what? I want to own a lot of different genetic testing companies, right? So you might own a basket of those. Um, and a bottom-up approach, you might just focus on one of those or two of those or, or however you do it. Uh, so I tend to take a bottom-up approach. I've explained how I, I do that um, before. but So I tend to have larger positions in a smaller number of companies. Um, that's kind of slowly been changing here. At 7investing, I've bought every pick that I've recommended, so I'm right there in the thick of it with everyone else. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I think it's easy to stress yourself out thinking, oh, I need to own 25 companies. I need to own 100 companies. Um, you know, you got to find the number that's right for you. And depending on how much money you have in the portfolio and where you're at. Uh, so there's all these different factors that come into play, but, uh, I think it kind of comes down to, is it top down or bottom up? Okay. That sounds good. How about you, Matt Cochran? How do you think about diversification? Yeah. So I actually think it's uh, challenging to run a concentrated portfolio and be a long-term buy and hold investor. So I, I, since I sincerely believe like the best compounding comes from years of holding, I allow myself to hold like, I don't know, 30 to 40 positions at a time, though I will start to eliminate positions like above that point too much. Uh, but starting small and allowing my portfolio to balloon over 30 positions kind of permits me just to buy companies I probably would not otherwise have. I'm kind of risk averse. So for instance, like I thought I would have ever bought Shopify which has been like a, a 13 bagger for me. If I had some arbitrary rule telling me like I have to start as a 5% position because I can only have 20 positions, you know? So th that's what works best for me. But some, some investors I know, like they, they run a much more concentrated portfolio and they've seen like great returns and others I know like have portfolios with, with literally hundreds of companies and they too have succeeded wildly. So I really don't think there's one size fits all. It's really, I think just whatever fits your style best, but that's, that seems what works best for me. I try to find a happy medium there. Steve, this what's is all your style so best? How do you do this? On kids, by the way. Oh, sorry. What's that, Dan? One more thing. <laughs> uh, sorry, sorry, Simon. I stepped in you there. I said, this is also Matt's policy on kids. Uh, there's no arbitrary limit for how, for how many. I, what are there, nine, this is 10? True. I'm going to have some multi-baggers in there. I'm going to have some yeah, maybe we'll, we'll that about underperform. But... Matt, we'll talk about capital <laughs> allocation with your kids on the next podcast, too. <laughs> Steve, what fits your style best for diversification? For diversification, um, I think not overcomplicating it is key to me. I think people you know, spend maybe too much time trying to determine you know, which sectors they need to place uh, you know, certain chunks of money in. Uh, I just invest in the best businesses that I can find, um, with a long-term mindset. And uh, I try not to worry too much about the number of stocks in my portfolio or, you know, diversifying across different sectors. Uh, that might mean, you know, relative lack of volatility for some stocks and, and, uh, and, you know, massive volatility for others. Uh, but it, it really depends on, on what I think is the best ideas at any given time. I will buy them. I'll hold them for uh, with years, um, you know, the, the intention of, of hanging on to them for, for years and uh, it, the rest kind of works, uh, works itself out. Really, uh, I, I tend to own between 30 and 40 stocks, but that number's kind of been climbing, uh, climbing in recent months uh, as I see, you know, kind of more seven investing recommendations in particular that are compelling. And, uh, you know, some of them are very small positions. Some of them uh, have turned into to very large positions and it, it really, um, I, I try not to overthink a uh, matter of diversification too much. And uh, I don't mind, you know, if a, a relatively small number, say 10 stocks, you know, might be, might comprise, you know, 50% of my portfolio uh, and the other, you know, 20, 25, 30 might be the rest, but uh, it's not, uh, you know, it, it, 
I don't want to say it's not, it's not rocket science, but uh, it really isn't, you know, I, I don't think um, we need to complicate it too much uh, and try and, you know, uh, otherwise, I mean, we could go buy an index fund <laughs> or something like that, but uh, I think there is some merit to concentrating um, parts of your portfolio in, in high potential industries, because that's where, you know, you're, you're finding that alpha and, and uh, you're really uh, driving out performance that way. So um just finding the best businesses I can buy them, hold them. Yep. I agree. In fact, I think one of my favorite parts of the job in working with you guys is, is buying into each other's picks. And we do that. And I do that too. You know, I, I do kind of the same thing that you do, Max. And on the second of the month, we always publish them first, but then I'll go out and actually buy you your, your ideas as well. And that's kind of expanded the portfolio over time. Uh, opened my eyes to a lot of stuff that I wasn't even aware of before. Some of these companies we bought in recent months, uh, and I won't give the names out here on the podcast, but I hadn't heard of them before your recommendations. And that's saying something for a person who's worked in this industry for a very long time and thought he knew most of the companies out there, but we're finding some unique new things. And I've definitely benefited from that. I, I have more than 80 positions in my portfolio. Um, I would say the vast majority in terms of dollars is in probably seven or eight of them. I, I always take a small stake up front, add the winners and let them run. And um, that kind of takes care of itself over time. I never trim back based on a uh, position size. So, okay, so great. So Dan says, you know, he's got kind of a conviction list. He's got a speculative list. Max says top down versus bottoms up investing. Uh, Matt and Steve both say kind of 30 to 40 positions. Look for a diversity of choices. And I want to close this out with one last question. This is a fun one. Again, this is not personalized financial advice. This is just for us managing our own portfolios. But I've got to ask this question anyway is, what is the absolute no-no for you running your own portfolio. If there is a filter that you can turn off and say, I am not interested in this sector, or I will not do that absolutely under any circumstance, what would that be in regard to how you allocate money in your portfolio? Steve, I will start first with you on this one. What is a no-no that you will not do for Steve Simonton's <laughs> portfolio? <laughs> I won't buy penny stocks. Uh, that's, that's one thing that I just, I won't touch them. You know, and we're not talking like, you know, companies that are a hundred million to $200 million market cap. Those are, those are fair game, but I'm talking like little micro cap, like trading at a, a fifth of a penny or something absurd. Um, yeah, all too often that ends in heartbreak and, uh, but you it, can have like 10,000 shares. man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll say it. share price means nothing. The number of shares you own means nothing. We all know this, but it's worth reiterating. And that's, uh, that's really hard, um, to get through. You know, there's a lot of companies that trade a thousand dollars a share that I would much rather own and will almost certainly outperform, uh, these little tiny penny stocks. I don't touch penny stocks. That's, that's a big no, no for me. Perfect. How about it, Matt Cochran? Penny stocks are off limits, I assume, for you as well. But any other no-nos on the Cochran portfolio? Yeah, penny stocks is a good one. Uh, you know, no energy. Like, uh, you know, it's just too – anything dependent on a, a commodity price. Like, that's just too, like, way outside of my comfort zone or co circle of competence. And I just feel like there's there's too when – uh, when a company's like, how a company performs is dependent on something outside of its control – I don't like that. And a lot of times I, I, I think of energy companies like, you know, they're so dependent on the price of oil, but it could be any kind of gold mining company, things like that. Just too many things outside, way outside of my circle of competence, things outside of the company's control. And uh, yeah, it's just not for me. No penny stocks, no commodities. Dan Klein, what do you stay away from in your portfolio? Yeah, no evil. Uh, you know, <laughs> and and the, here's the thing that is really subjective because there are companies like, you know, 
obviously there's some backlash to Amazon, but do you overall weigh? So it's kind of in my head, like, you know, I, I won't own tobacco stocks, but I would own liquor stocks. So there's no hard and fast rule here, but I try to look at a company and go, does it treat its people well? Is it generally trying to do good in the world? Uh, you know, if something goes wrong and something goes wrong everywhere, how do they deal with that? How do they correct that? So I'm okay with the company being a little bit bad, but when it seems truly evil, then I generally, you know, am not proud of owning it. So I, it, it, there's just always a better opportunity there. No penny stocks, no energy, no evil. Max, what have you got that you're staying away from? Well, those are all good things that I also do. So they took all the easy ones. Um, <laughs> I guess I would say, you know, I, I really don't like buy in and sell out really quickly, obviously, obviously for the tax implications. But if I buy a pick because I'm uh, bottom up, you know, approach, um, I do let it ride for a long time, as long as the thesis is intact. So it doesn't matter if it's down a lot or up a lot. Like I said, I don't even trim if it's, you know, it spikes for some stupid reason that's maybe not sustainable. Um, so not a whole lot of wheeling and dealing in the, uh, in the chat scope portfolios. No short-term thinking. I like that one. And, and mine that I'll add to this is no bad management. I have made exceptions in the past where I would say, oh, I really wanted this company, but I don't like the CEO. Oh, they're probably paying themselves way too much money or they're making bad decisions and not, not fulfilling on what they say they're going to do. No more, no more. I'm, I'm done with bad managers. They can light your money on fire before you even know it's going to happen. Uh, so we throw that out the window as well. Uh, great. So, okay. So uh, Dan, one more comment before we wrap this up. What do you think? I was going to say, Simon, I've also learned don't buy stock, stock from a guy in the street selling it out of a trench coat. That is, a, that is not going to go well. You want to go through a licensed broker. Here in Vegas, you can get anything at any time. Not a great way to buy stock. You want to be really, really careful. Remember that there used to be paper certificates. That's not really a thing anymore. So I did not buy $10,000 worth of Apple for $100. <laughs> now, now, before we close this out, though, oh, go ahead, Max. Yeah, I was going to say, what if, you know, we answer these questions for what we do, but we've been investing for a while. What if we real quick went around for people who are starting out, you know, because they're not going to have 40 positions or percent allocation. So maybe what's one tip? we we'll go around the horn. Uh, for someone who's just starting, they have a new portfolio. How do they go about it? Uh, even thinking about like, how do I diversify this? What's it going to look like in a year? Um, I don't know who wants to start. Maybe Steve. I'll start. Um, yeah, that's. Uh, I would say don't underestimate the ability of of starting small. Like no amount is too small. And in today's market, and and given the advent of you know zero dollar commissions and fractional share trading with a lot of brokerages. Um, you know, don't worry. It's like, oh, I've only got 50 bucks, you know, to put in there. I don't, ha I only have a hundred dollars or something uh, that adds up really quickly. And uh, I'd say, don't underestimate um, the, the impact of just getting started and putting in even small amounts uh, repeatedly over time as you can. How about it, Dan? You had an idea on this one too. Yeah. It's uh, don't check your portfolio. Like I, I, mm. I saw friends of mine on Facebook today talking about how the market has taken a pummeling since January, which isn't true. Uh, the, the Dow hit and NASDAQ have both hit highs uh, during, you know, since then. I think the Dow high was March 12th. So we're not exactly talking a, a way back, but if you check your portfolio every day, like you'd look today and be like, oh, everything's red. And it's like, yeah, and yesterday everything was green. Like it's just not that important. You wanna watch your portfolio over the course of years, not over the course of months and quarters. And if you're using advice like we give at Seven Investing, if something major happens, we'll tell you. If it, for the most part, this should be set it and forget it. It's not a game. You're, you're not, you know, there are stock market games you could play. If you want that aspect of it, play a game. But when it comes to investing, buy really good companies and then just don't worry about it.
Buy and hold. That's a good one. What do you think, Matt? Uh, when you first start, don't worry about diversification at all. Like, you know, uh, like it, it can be like sometimes like you start off and you have like three companies and you're like, oh, I'm not diversified enough. Don't worry about that. You'll, you'll, you'll get there, you know, start, start with companies that you're, you're used to, that you're familiar with the product that you understand and, and, and take it from there. But like, don't, don't worry about diversification when you first start. And Max, I've got to ask you your same question. Let's bring it back. Now you've heard all the answers. We took all the good ones. What's left that you haven't said yet? <laughs> I would just combine all of those. Those are all really good things. Um, you know, don't be afraid to start. It always seems like so, you know, futile when you're starting out, you only have so much money or you hear all these other stories of people that are maybe really successful or whatever, you got to start somewhere. You know, um, I started investing in 2009. I was still in college and, you know, I had like no money, obviously in college or in my early twenties. Uh, but now here I am, I get to do this for a living, right? It's pretty cool. Um, so definitely, you know, and, and don't check your portfolio is great advice. I usually only look at my portfolio, like when I put the money comes in and I go to buy more things. And sometimes I don't even look at how it's performing. I just buy the things and log off. So um, all really good uh, piece of advice there. It's so tempting, right? It's so tempting to look at when the when the market's going crazy and it's happy and everything is green. You want to look at those and you want to see when it's going down. And just it really, if you're in it for the long term, it doesn't matter the day to day changes, like you said. Now, those are some great points. Uh, before I wrap this up, I, we did say that we say no to penny stocks earlier in the program, uh, Dan. You're out in Vegas. You have not said no to the penny slots out there. In fact, you actually hit it big on a penny slot machine earlier this week. Right? Yeah, it, it, it's funny. So, so I sent everybody a picture. There's a slot machine. And I'm not a big slot player. I, I mostly play blackjack. But if you don't play some slots, you're not going to get free rooms. You're not going to get in all the lists. And I played a slot where the winning combination was having three sevens on all the lines. I, I should have shared this picture because we, we should have. And I was playing it intentionally to try to get that to happen. And it looks like it's a giant win because I won... 200 and you know whatever thousand pennies but it was it was actually 218 dollars which is fine it was a nice win uh, <laughs> but i i did it for the visual of all those sevens on the screen i want to see the pictures i think we have a new logo of dan in front of the sevens behind him <laughs> in the slot machine uh, some great advice though you know from our team just kind of pulling a lot of these together you heard some common themes that we all said we said we like to buy in small positions up front don't feel like you need to back the truck up right immediately. There's plenty of time to establish and add to those over time. And you also said we look for kind of operational things, right? Whether that's a, a biotech company that's de-risking because of milestones, whether it's because of certain things we're looking for that we see companies doing a good job with, there should be something that gives you conviction that things are going right other than just the stock prices going up. And look for those operational metrics out there. And then the third thing we said that so many of us said on this program is let your winners run. Don't cut yourself off at the ankles by saying, oh, well, this has gotten to be too large of a position. I'm just going to subjectively cut it back. Wealth is compounding over time. And you can really find that some of your best companies and your best largest uh, companies in your portfolio were small positions at the beginning that turned into large positions over time. So thank you to all of my lead advisors uh, from calling in all over the country uh, to, for this podcast uh, of our seven investing podcast on asset allocation. We think it's an important topic and we wanted to share some of our thinking about that here this evening. So thanks again for tuning in. We are here to empower you to invest in your future. We are seven investing. A reminder that people on this program may hold positions in the companies that are mentioned. Buying and selling stock carries financial risk, which could include the loss of capital. 
The views in this program should not be taken as personalized advice. Before acting on any of the information provided, listeners are encouraged to consult a financial or tax professional.